Yo, what's up, everybody? It's me, Dion Brown, your brother, your friend. I'm the host of the Man vs. Brand podcast, and you are definitely listening to your newest episode. Hey, everybody. All right, so I want to talk to you about something that I imagine you as thought leaders, you as executives have thought to yourself, what if I became a coach? What if I met people where they are in their lives in order to further some sense of where there could be. And that rings true in their business or in their personal lives. How can I take the skill sets that I have right now, leverage my time in whatever vertical I've been in, whatever industry I'm currently occupying, and use that to empower others? You may ask yourself, is coaching in fact for me? Now, I can tell you a story about how I got into coaching because so much about my uh, entrance into the path was around productivity, around wanting people to be productive, happier folks. And I recognized that one of two things was going to happen. You were either going to make more money or save more time, right? You were either going to use the same hours that you had. We're going to figure out how to make you more productive in terms of revenue. Or I was going to make you more productive in terms of how you spent your time. So you could spend the rest of it with the people doing the things that you really love to do. Now, my way into it is not going to be everybody's way into it. And to speak to alternate paths and ways of approaching, I have the CEO of Conquer Your Business, Aaron Marcus. Now, I've been on Aaron's podcast. Not sure if it's going to release by the time this comes out or if it would have released before. Doesn't matter because on both shows, you guys are going to be in for a treat. You're going to love the information that you get. Aaron is amazing at storytelling, driving home points. So this is going to be one where you definitely want to get your latte, grab a seat, put your ear pods in. Definitely want to get into a nice run on the treadmill, get your breathing in a nice rhythmic pattern, because this is going to be something that you want to sit through for the entire thing. So we're going to start this episode in five, four, three, two, one. One of the greatest philosophers of our time once said that when it's up, then it's stuck. Find out how to make your next big idea stick with Dion Brown and his podcast. With 20 years of experience in growing and managing businesses and brands at the highest level, Dion is having the conversations that you are looking for. Welcome and have a great time. I'm going to talk less, let her talk more. Erin, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Oh my God, no pressure here. No, seriously. <laughs> I'm listening to your entryway into coaching and I'm thinking, how did I get into this? <laughs> and screaming. That's how I got in. There you go. <laughs> Not the same path, but here we are. So officially, yeah. officially, fancy, officially curated sentences here, right? Yeah. I am Aaron Marcus, founder and CEO of Conquer Your Business, where we create business and branding strategy, keyword strategy that build multiple six, seven, multiple seven-figure businesses. Beautiful, beautiful. So would you consider your company and your approach to be like more um, consultative, uh, strategic, or, or implementation? 
I was gonna say implementative, but I feel like that but might not be a word. <laughs> that might not be a word. So, <laughs> the, the, right. The way that I describe what we do is I work at the intersection where what you need to do meets who you need to be to do it. Because the plan doesn't matter if you can't do the plan. So we start there. We start with the strategy. I'm, it's strategy over Insta tactics. Nothing makes me crazier than people spending their hard-earned money on just do this one thing. And then it doesn't work for them because it had no chance in hell of working for them. And then they feel not just like out their money, but they feel like a failure because it looks like it's working for everybody. So why didn't it work for me? So I don't know if you can tell, I can't stand that whole approach, but it's all about the unique strategy for what you're trying to build with what you love doing with what you're trying to create, but also working around what you suck at and hate doing. Cause I don't believe like having your own business is hard enough. We don't need to, there's always going to be parts that aren't your favorite, but we don't need to, just put the whole whether or not we win or lose depending on something you hate doing. And this is why this whole intersection of who you need to be to do it is so important Yeah, because the plan doesn't matter if you can't do the plan. Like there's no information out there that you can't get your hands on for 1999. Yeah. There really isn't. We got or free, right? There buy a book. There's YouTube. We all, everyone in this space is doing massive amounts of free content. Go yeah. get some. But, yeah. but if every, if that's all you needed, everyone would be a millionaire. So it really is this mixture of taking this information and then applying it, right? That's the key is not just what it is, but how do you do it? How do, how does we make it work for you? And then we do have some pieces of implementation, you know, it, that varies. That's more tactical. So that's amazing. With that though, I question how many entrepreneurs, business owner, executives that you work with recognize that they have a problem that they have an opportunity space, that they have a um, an area of need, and then don't want to fall into alignment with your solution, right? So, so because, <laughs> because I found right a lot of people wait, will wait. want to fix things and then be resistant. They don't actually want it. <laughs> <laughs> they don't actually. So, okay, I got two things about that. Number one, I owned a franchise for you know my intermediary step between corporate and complete small business owner was a franchise. And I ended up because I got my franchise to the top 10 out of 200 offices in about 18 months. So the franchisor hired me to help train new offices. And I cannot tell you how many people bought a franchise, which is a synonym for system. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's what you're buying. You're buying a brand and a system. Yeah. And then wouldn't do any of the things. <laughs> like yeah. They wanted to sell something completely different, which yeah. is fine. But then why did you buy the franchise? So to your point, yes, that's a thing. And yep. what I try to do, and, and it, I miss people. I, they slip through the track cracks. Yep. I'm not perfect at this. My goal is to get enough of my authentic self 
enough of my approach to business, enough of my approach to my clients out in the world in my marketing. So that doesn't happen a lot. So most of the people who come to me are already aware of the fact that they're, they're done. Like my podcast is called ready yet. You'll never do what it takes until you become the person it takes to do it. So we're putting it out there. Like you've already gotten, and and that was my path too. Like I got as far as I could get inherently. And then I hired people to help. So basically what, what, what you're saying is that for you fit becomes the most important thing where they're arriving with some sense of who you are. You are arriving, um, affirming the sense that they have typically that you've, you've put out through marketing, through the podcast, through relationships. And so the trust and the buy-in that bridge is more solid because everyone is arriving at the conversation, clearly aware about what the other party's expectations are, needs are, um, what the requirements are for this relationship to be healthy. Absolutely. And to me, that is a foundational piece of a client acquisition system. Okay. Like it's not necessarily an easy piece. It's so funny how this like themes come up over and over. I literally, right before you and I jumped on this, hit publish on a post on LinkedIn. Yeah. talking about authenticity and it's all fine, well, and good, right? You, you be, you, you know, embrace your fill in the blank, let your, whatever it is, that sounds great on a mug, but it's not easy in real life because you do need people to like you. You do want people to like you. And as a small business owner, you start to feel the, need for people to like you because then they might be your client. And now it's like, do you make money or not based on if people like you? And so it's a heavy ask, right? It's a, it's a heavy lift to ask somebody to go on a personal journey to where they truly, truly, truly don't care if people like them. That's not human. It just isn't. So what I would put forth is what if instead of making ourselves feel bad for wanting people to like us, AKA being human, what if we just said, it's only important if the right people like us. Yeah. Can we yeah. get to the point in ourselves where it matters that the right people like us, the people we want to work with, the people who want to work with us, the people we can help, the people we're good at helping, the people who want our help. Like if you align those things, you get to live life more on your own terms because you're, especially as a business owner, right? We're just attracting Like, I don't attract, I don't know if you can tell, like you and I are very much aligned. I don't think you attract victim-y personalities any more than I do. No. It just doesn't, I'm too solid in myself. You're too solid in yourself. Yeah. Though I did, I have to tell you this. I missed it. I missed one. I totally missed one. Nice lady, loved her. I I missed one and I I had to laugh at myself because I completely missed it. And we started out strong and we started out good. And then she she bailed. She bailed way too early before she really made her difference. And then she lit she sent me an email telling me how much I was helped her. Yeah. But that I should have done a better job understanding that even though she said yes and signed the contract and worked with me for three months, I should have known she didn't actually want to do it. Ooh, wow. <laughs> it's like, 
Well, that's, that's a level of, of insight. And <laughs> like, really not that good. Right. I'm good. Yeah. I ain't that good. Good. I'm not. Yeah. No, I was just thinking too, like it, it I definitely don't attract victims or the, the, the victim sort of mentality, but I will say this, that, um, that, uh, in my life, people tell me stories in order to get an insight that they feel like would be as truthful of an insight as I can give them. Right. So I have a lot of people that come to me with a level of problem that, that like the answer is not just to be like, Oh my God, that really, wow. What are you going to do about that? Right. It's really yeah. like, okay, let's, let's, let's break this down. It's funny because I don't think that every problem, I definitely don't believe that every problem deserves an answer. But I do think that you can you can become varied in your approach. And so in my life and in the lives of like my friends and family and and people I'm in relationship with, I'm always like, seek out other alternative ways to approach what you want. Because talking to three to two people about it may not be the best approach. Your best approach might come from YouTube. It might come from, right, like, like work through some stuff in order to do it because no one resource will determine and it, the, the optimal yeah. way. To, and for it's you to- hard. I think people say they want it. Yeah. And um, I'm a big fan of, I, I give warnings. I like when I have my clients, when I have events, I'm like, listen, I'm going to, this is the disclaimer. I'm real direct. Yeah. And being the five foot tall female growing up in Chicago, not in the greatest crowds, don't confuse the confident cadence of my voice to mean, right? It's just the way I've always had to present myself. But do they really want the truth? And I will tell people, put your safety bubble on. I'm going to say something and you're not going to want to hear it. Yeah. But I don't feel that I'm doing anybody any service. Like, can you can you walk the line? Like, I call a lot of things what I do is about putting bumpers in my gutters. Put the bumpers in my gutters so I don't go too far off the cliff on either side. And yeah. the bumpers in my gutters are on one side, don't be a jerk. Yeah. But on the yeah. other side, don't. Li- I'm not doing of any service if I'm lying to people or blowing smoke up your skirt. Yeah, absolutely. But wait, pause. I want to I co- go go to what you said. Um, because I think that there's there's something really interesting, um, you know, when you said like, you know, I'm, I'm basically I'm paraphrasing. Like, I'm going to say something and, you know, um, basically like I want um, it, this may challenge the way that you think or it may shift some perspective. I found that like when, when, when I'm saying something like that, guys, I mean this with all earnest. Right. When I say something like that. People compare it to like. YouTube reels and Instagram reels where people say that. And it's like, I'm going to blow your mind right now. You're amazing. You don't even know it. And I'm like, right. Like, like people use, people have used that catchphrase so much to, to be false empowering, to be toxically positive in a way that like, doesn't really challenge a person. It just gets them into a funnel that when you actually say it and then you shift some level of a paradigm or a way of approaching or a way of engaging in their business. It, it, you, you see the, the light come in someone's eye when they're there, when they, when they, when they, when the challenge is met 
with their determination. When they finally get it and they're like, oh, I can do that. Oh, that does do something for me. There's like that I thing that's amazing. Well, but here's the difference. And this is going back to, do you want to be a coach? Here's the difference. It's not hard to know what to tell people to do. It's all out there. Yeah. It goes back to the how. Yeah. The reason you're getting the aha moment response is because you're breaking down how to do the thing that they want to do. The disconnect is, well, I got it. It's over here. And this is where I think, you know, people are either dialing it in or they're pretending because they think, well, I'm supposed to go back to this authenticity thing. I'm, I'm not supposed to care what anybody else thinks. And what ends up happening, but they really do. Yeah. They really do because nobody and my my attempt with my post today was about that's not possible. Yeah. You be you is impossible for the human brain that was literally its job is to keep you alive and you need other humans to like you to keep you alive. So the whole you be you thing, it ain't going to happen. Your yeah. neuroscience isn't going to let it happen. But but what is possible? What version of it can we do? How do you make it possible for you to do whatever version of that gets you to your next step? And when you can break down the goal, right? When you can break down the distance between the cliche and, you know, the highlight reel and the place someone is right now and give them some insight on how to get from one to the other, those are the aha moments. Yeah, guys, I think she's she's really breaking down something amazing. If you ever hear about people using any of the phrasing that talks about um, speaking to the gap, working through the gap, this idea that there's a space in between where you are and where you want to be, this is so much of what coaching is about. It's about it's about getting someone in their gap space, and not just in their gap space from what's immediately recognizable, but but in their gap space in gaps that you see because you have um, time spent in a in a business type or you can leverage experiences, uh, you understand trends and you understand cycles that are happening in the world and in business and in the economy. And so you can give them a gap that they might not even be aware of. So, Aaron, yes. I want to ask you this. Oh. How did you become a coach? Kicking and screaming. <laughs> Give me what that means. Okay. So on accident, on purpose, I didn't, how did I become, I'll do it this way. How did conquer your business happen? Okay. And so the coaching thing was natural instinct. Didn't okay. know what it was. Didn't okay. know that's what I was doing. So if you want to go back to post-college, 25 years old, living in the city of Chicago, I get a job managing apartment complexes in the Chicago suburbs. Okay. Who in their right mind gave 25-year-old Aaron control over their multi-million dollar asset? I don't know, right? Now that I'm old and I'm going 25, oh my God, but that's what it was. And I had a a, a several-year career in that industry. And every assistant manager every leasing agent, every pool manager that ever worked for me 
was promoted to manage their own building. Yeah. And to me, like my natural inclination, I just love doing that. So, right. So that was that situation. And then, you know, you go through a couple challenges in your career. Yeah. Step, step, step. And I end up at a uh, insurance brokerage firm where I had my own department. I was, I was there for 12 years and I had my own department, but some of the things that I was doing there was creating a, helping to create a different way of working with insurance carriers. With if you've ever worked with an insurance carrier coming up with a different way to work with them, it's not, you know, this is not an easy thing to do, right? But that's what we were doing and getting money involved, right? Paid differently, accounts versus individuals as clients. Like we changed the whole face of this niche industry we were in. Yeah. And I also at the time had amazing mentors who were bringing me into rooms that were way above my pay grade yeah, and explaining things to me. And I got my MBA while I was there in a dual focus of marketing and executive leadership. So even though I didn't have my own team, I had like one or two people, I was really the mentor for so many of the younger people in the business. How do you, how do you move up the ladder as a female in a male dominated industry without a chip on your shoulder or, you know, all of the things, right? And in that business, I also was working with our clients on how to grow their businesses. It was part of my job. Yeah. I was coaching and consulting and I didn't know it. Yeah. Then I, after 12 years, I leave there and I have this franchise and this is where it started to become clearer. I get hired by the franchisor to help launch and train new offices. I'm speaking at their national meetings. I'm speaking at their regional meetings. And at that time, when it was, that business had to do with families with aging parents. It wasn't home care, it was downsizing. And and that business was geographically based in the North Chicago suburbs. And when it was my turn at the networking event to have the spotlight and talk about my business and, you know, this is what we do. Everyone there was going, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know you help families with aging parents. Tell us why you're making money. Like, why, why is it working for you? Why did you get to multiple six figures that fast? Why are you in the, like, why is it working for you? So I end up doing that at the networking events, doing that for my vendors, doing that for my networking partners. And it becomes obvious that that's fun, that that's amazing, that that's easy for me because it's right in my genius zone. Yeah. And I'm getting to be involved with these aha moments for people, just like you were mentioning and changing lives so that small business owners can actually have their business, keep their business, grow their business. And taking into account my personal just values of personal responsibility and control over my own life. Yeah. Or I could stay in the, senior world with monumentally logistical nightmare of services and my clients are in trauma. So it started to be like, I don't know, which, where, where would you like to be? So it was so much more a, not a discovering of what I wanted to do, but a realization and an unburying of what I'm naturally good at. And how do you use that in benefit of others and letting go of everything else? 
And I think that what's so important about this story, and I, I love that you took us back to 25-year-old post-college you, because I, I think that that's important. I, I think that you, you couldn't have articulated um, a more uh, aligned journey to what this episode is about, because in fact, I feel like if people, folks listening, watching, or wondering, like, can I be a coach? Uh, success leaves clues, right? It leaves it leaves signs and like you just need to do um, a retrospective on, on the things that make you happy on the, the points where you felt like you were existing in your genius, uh, the points in which you felt really fulfilled. And if those things align with supporting people in their goals in in listening and engaging with folks, then you might have already been doing the work for it. Right. Maybe not in a formal way. Maybe you're, you're you, you really like training. And, but you took it to a different level where you're doing some more interpersonal work. Like you, you might have seen evidence of this. And, and if you look at that evidence, you might find that you are more aligned to, um, to being or to having the ability to be a coach. Now you just need to fine tune the skill set. Well, and the thing that derailed me for a while was yeah. everything I thought I was supposed to do as a business owner. Yeah. Right. Like I come out of corporate. I come yeah. on blue collar Chicago, like jobs, get a job. I mean, it was amazing when I got to corporate white collar job. Holy cow. Right. Like, yeah. like I was a cop and my mom was a hairdresser. Like yeah. the fact that I've ever been in a cubicle is nothing short of a miracle. <laughs> right. Come on. Right. So so there's the part about figuring out the alignment of what you're great at and what people need that solves a problem. There's a lot of people out there trying to be a coach in things that people don't need or want to pay for. Right? Like yeah. This is not a good business. That's not a sustainable business model. But yeah. then the other half is if you want to work for yourself, are you willing to put the time, money, energy, and effort into learning how to run and grow a business that you've put into learning how to do the thing you want to do. Yep. Because the things that derailed me were the negatives I brought with me out of corporate. There's some yeah. positives, but what happened is I walked into this world thinking this will be great. I had accolades. I had bonuses. Erin's so smart. She got promotions. She got awards, blah, 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 blah. And then when I was truly, truly, truly out on my own, yeah. What you realize is you are amazing, smart, and brilliant on a very narrow path that somebody else created, and all yeah. you need to follow it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's and, not and, a fun moment. And I think also, right, like there are so so much of what you will need to do is what you will also need to prescribe others to do, right? You you need to focus on the 20% of things that are going to bring the most growth, right? And the most revenue. You need to simplify your tasks so that you're focused on, you know, what's, what, what are those things and how can I embody those things, right? And so what we tend to want to do is to do all of the, the vanity work, right? So it's like, I want to get, and I, I, we talked about this on your podcast, right? So I want to focus on the branding. I'm, I want to spend so much time on making sure the website's right, making sure the business card's right, making sure they match my brand, making sure that my LinkedIn profile um, makes me look like a coach and has like a lot of recommendations. And then you realize you haven't done much lead generation. 
you haven't done the work, right? You, you haven't do done the work. work before you, you went to work. Exactly, well, right? Yeah, I mean, and it happens for a couple different reasons. One, it happens because that's the external piece of business we see of other businesses. So we give it a false sense of prioritization because that's the visual that we see. That's what we're immersed in. So, yeah. okay, totally makes sense. We would think that's important because we're surrounded by it from everybody else. But the other more insidious part of that is ads are, unless you're a graphic designer, unless you're expert at messaging, you're not going to be good at those things. Yeah. Which means they're going to take a really, really, really long time. Yep. Which also means if you think that it's necessary to have and you're not good at it, and it takes a long time to do it, you can be so busy that you've convinced yourself that you're trying really hard and doing a lot of work. Yeah, like you can be you can be so um, immersed in that work that, that you're like, right. that it, it feels it feels exhausting, it feels rewarding, it feels like it's growing your business okay. and Such not a this busy one. day. And to your earlier point, though, what you're avoiding is the scary parts, because that's we're humans. That's what we do. We avoid the scary parts and we hide in the amount of work that it takes to do things that we're not good at doing. Right. And it all comes from the scarcity of either not wanting to hire the people who are good at doing it or keeping us away from going out into the real world, talking to other human beings and saying, do you want my help? Can I help you? Well, so it's funny to your second. I actually think that your second point is where I think a lot of people may go wrong. And it's not the talking to people and helping them. I think that oftentimes as business owners, we are so excited to present to the world, the visual of our business, this kind of stamp that like, I've transitioned, look, I've done it. So I'm a business owner, I have a pen with my name on it. <laughs> exactly, so like, my logo has to be right, my tagline has to be right, right? Because I'm proving to the world that I have what it takes to do this thing, right? And so glad to go out in the world and present the world with it, that you haven't actually figured out what the intricacies of your service or product is, right? Like who the market, who in the market, this is really going to help. Whose problem this is going to solve because you're just excited to announce to the world. Well, I have this. I have a, a person. Yeah, I have a story about this. I have a story about this. This is something I've watched over and over and over again. It breaks my heart too, because I've seen great people fall into this trap. There are, and this goes back actually to my whole thing about Insta tactics. Yeah. That why the Insta tactics don't work. One of a one of the very well marketed tactics is speaking, yeah. right? There's amazing coaches out there doing amazing things, teaching you how to speak and how to sell from the stage. Yeah. And there's an art to it. And I personally, it's a great tactic. I use it. So I'm not yeah. saying the tactic is wrong. Yeah. But I have watched several very wonderful humans get really good at selling from the stage. Yeah. However, not so great at delivering on their promise. Yeah. Right? They didn't you want to kill your brand? Yeah. Go sell a bunch of it and not be able to deliver on your offer cuz you don't have your ducks in a row. And the other thing too is um so much of tactic that you see in the world guys that are listening She's 100% right. 
is is not just in the delivery because delivery part is you can't deliver on what you say you're going to do you have a whole heap of problems like a whole heap of problems and like it could also just be organization we're not saying yeah, you but it's a whole heap of problems like you you need to sort that out right but but what i will say this is this too that that if you're not clear about your conversions if you're not clear about your ability to sell but then also to close, right? Because there's a lot of people that are great at selling the vision, but that don't follow up, right? Oh, like, I thought, yeah, so I like, thought you, so like, you don't close, like you have all of these, this great legion, you get all of these people interested in you, but you, you don't close them. on them. And so you feel good about presenting this thing that people are like, oh my God, I need it. But if you're not actually following up and closing on the business, then, truth be told, you'll never have the problem of not being able to fulfill the promise. That's right. Before. You won't even have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> I won't even have that problem. I, so that is exactly what we do. That's so, so this is exactly what we do in their business. We, have an, uh, we actually have a program for this. And this is, yeah. see, uh, this is the way that I describe this. It's a five, I have, you know, it's a five-step process. And, and I'm not big on the whole five steps to this and seven steps to that. But I've learned... My college boyfriend labeled me the random thought generator and he wasn't wrong. So I create these numbered systems like for your benefit, because I'll talk all day. But if it needs, but if you want it to make sense, we're going to have to put it in an order. We're going to have to number some things. Right. Absolutely. Right. So right, we got the foundation, which is what you're talking about. Like, what's the brand? What are the visuals? What is the unique value proposition? What is the offer? How do you do it? Like, we've got that foundation. And then you've got, I draw the line between marketing and sales. Marketing is everything you do to create awareness that your business exists. Yep. If you are creating awareness and interest, the fact that your business exists, that's marketing. Yep. Sales for me is the mutually agreed upon conversation we have to decide if we are going to exchange money for services. Yes. Mutually agreed upon conversation. This is not me DMing you on LinkedIn saying, buy my widget. That's not sales because I didn't agree to be in that conversation. Yeah. 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 Mutually agreed upon conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And the and, goal. And, wait, and just, just to add that before you get to the next point. And, and I may not agree today. Right? Yeah, that's I may I may say, like, I need this six months from now. I and that doesn't mean no. That right. means, means not, not today. Yeah, that means not now. I feel like a lot of people miss that part. Like just oh because someone says later doesn't mean that they're trying to blow you off. Sometimes there may be instances where they are, but but people tend to respect their time and decision making. So when they if they say not now, it doesn't mean that you're not in relationship with them. It means that your relationship doesn't transact today. Correct. Here's the thing. Your business is not about you. Yeah. Your yeah. business is not about you. Your business is about the clients and solving their problem, which means when some, and the problem that we run into is in a sales conversation, when someone says not now to us, we take it personally. We've suddenly made our business about us. Yeah. So we slink into a hole instead of continuing to treat that person as, 
as if they were inevitably becoming our client. How different would your business look like if you treated everyone who said no to you as if they were inevitably be going to become your client and not make it about you? Yeah. Right. So really it's step one is the foundation. Step two is everything you're doing to grow your audience. Like here's a great example for you and I, because earlier this week we recorded my podcast. So yep. for me, that was a re-engagement tool for my audience. They already knew me, but for you, that was an audience growth tool because I introduced you to my audience and now we're flipping it. For you, this podcast is a nurturing and engagement situation. Your people know you. But for yeah. me, it's a growth tool because I'm getting to get introduced to new people, right? So it's the foundation. It's the create awareness and growth. Then it's engage and nurture. Then it's conversations. Yeah. Then it's follow-up, tweak the system, measure the system, repeat the system. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that... Right. Like coaching guys will tend to fall into and, and you may agree with this for me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it a I'm, I'm actually going to give this a random number because I, I I haven't spent um, what I specifically coach in. It doesn't necessarily speak to these three things, but I feel like so much of coaching when you really look at it does. Right. Leverage. Who are people in your life, things in your life that you can utilize to make your task simpler because they're more efficient at it. Whatever that thing is, right? Whatever is more efficient than you are, how do you get that? How do you implore that thing? How do you use that thing in order to, to further your goals, right? Systems. How, how, how do you allow for scale by doing something that is not based on an individual approach but an approach that can be adopted by others, right? So that's two. Three is time, right? Like, how are you spending your time? Are, are you time blocking for the things you need to do? Are you not time blocking? Is an hour of your time worth X and you're using that for something else that is actually worth less than your time or that someone spends less time doing it, which moves into the, the conversation of systems and leverage, right? But Ultimately, time becomes a great determiner of the trajectory of what we're doing because how we spend our time. You show me how you spend your day. I'll show you how you spend your life. You show me what your business is doing day to day. I'll show you where your business is going to go based on what your business is doing, right? So when when we look at coaching from, from those three sort of pillars, and I imagine there are more pillars depending on where you are and in, in, in what you're applying to coaching, you find that that people that especially entrepreneurs come in with this sense oftentimes of like of like I want to create chaos I want to disrupt I want to I want to change I want to reconstruct right and and so much about coaching is also grounding them in the in the the tactics, the strategies that will, that have a median chance of making them successful at it. Well, so I think one of the things, now you're in New York, but here in the Midwest, yeah, we have this thing about work ethic and that if it wasn't hard, it wasn't worth it. 
like that something has to be hard in order to produce, right? Yeah. You got to work hard, yeah. right? She works hard for the money because, yes, we're old and that's our But what happens is going back to neuroscience, because a lot of this really does go back to how your brain works and understanding how your brain works so that you can counteract it. Yeah. Truly counteract it. When I think about how our brains work, it's amazing. Any any of us are pulling off anything. Okay, so let's <laughs> just follow what it is. But we fall into this thinking that it has to be hard in order to work because that's what we're taught: blue collar work ethic. Yay! And we also think that it has to be exciting. That it should be exciting. And it was. It took me a long time to realize the most thing I want is for my business to be boring. Like it means, and it's hard. It is hard for an entrepreneur who is by nature driven, who wants to do all these things. You're usually a little ADHD where we're going to be real high D's, high I on the disc analysis. Like it's hard. Like we are going against everything that made us take the leap into owning a business. Like everything that you need in your in your body to make you willing to take the leap is what is going to kill the business. Absolutely. Right? Crazy to have learned like the whole thing. Hello. Hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Like you yeah. can't underestimate that. Yeah. It's about yeah. everything. I'm the bottleneck. Yeah. I'm the bottleneck in the business. Um, I'm the reason things stop working because I've got the next big idea. Yeah. I'm not the system do things over and over again. I know very few small business owners, entrepreneurs who love the idea of doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. If that was true, we'd work in a factory. Yeah. And yet here we are in charge of things. Well, and, and also, right. Like, like we're also, we're also, also at our best. We, we are almost in digital activity factories, right? We're like, you you are putting this piece together every day at this time. This email goes out every three days after someone joins. I mean, that's the goal. Like they get this email. Days after you meet somebody, follow up with them, right? Like you are almost in a factory, right? And 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 it's, it's. I mean, there's a reason factories work. Exactly. Exactly. There's a reason they're able to mass produce outcome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Henry Ford, right? I mean, there's exactly a- like <laughs> if we were just putting doors on cars and then adding a headlight and then, and then putting the gas pedal in all at different times when we chose to, like we'd still be on horses and be giving carriages right now. <laughs> we'd be right, right exactly. Now. This is why, you know, it's why the best thing you can do for growing your business is figuring out like what are you great at what do you suck at what does actually have to happen like the way that i describe it is become a massive objective observer of your own behavior and are you willing to be the brave soul that it takes to do the work yeah that wasn't the most fun part for me to learn all the ways I'm, you know, 
shortchanging myself, sabotaging myself, making sure this doesn't work. Like that's not fun, but it really comes down to what do you want and how bad do you want it? What are you? So I say it this way, marketing, sales, branding, graphic design, website. That's not hard. None of it's hard. And the reason it's not hard is because you can hire someone to do it. You can pay people to do that. There's brilliant people who are great at it. You can pay them. They'll do a great job for you. The hard work is the internal mindset work because you can't outsource that. Yeah. You have to do that. Let's talk about something because you said, you said shortchanging yourself, maybe, which I'm going to correlate to undervaluing yourself, which I'm then going to correlate to pricing. Oh. So I want to be a coach. I'm thinking about being a coach. I'm like, man, I make six figures out here in the world, right? I, I don't I don't really know um, how much I'm going to make in terms of being a coach. I want to be a coach, though, because I feel like I'm really led. Now, I found that people tend to, specifically in the beginning, and sometimes throughout their coaching career, you find out that they either price really, really low so low in which you question like what they're actually doing for their clients. It's like, geez, I don't even know. I don't even know how you do it. Or so high that their target client doesn't match the price that that person would be willing to pay for your It's like all over the place. That's like the outliers. But few seem to fall into the middle because I think we because so often we will build a model based on what we're comfortable charging and not stress testing that model to find so, what the optimal or reverse engineering or reverse yeah. engineering i can't tell you how i mean reverse engineering a business the math part yeah this is what i mean if you put the time money energy and effort to learn how to be a business owner price it's it's not fun because pricing in the beginning is a gut answer, not a math answer, because you're not going to close sales if you're asking for more money than what you can energetically hold and ask for, because you're not going to say it. You're not going to be able to say it. Right. So when I work with people are just starting, when we're just starting, Pricing is a gut answer because we can run up the stairs. You can just raise it, sell three, raise it. I have clients who we have tripled their income in less than a year with the whole, I didn't care where she started. The rule was sell three, raise your prices, sell three, raise your prices. And yeah. and I didn't pick the amount she raised. And one time she only raised it 20 bucks. And one time she raised it a thousand dollars. Yeah. But yeah. once we're right. But once we're past that, it's amazing to me how many people have not reverse engineered their pricing model to make sure they have a profitable business because yeah. a couple things to consider whether there's a million ways, there's a million different ways to make a million dollar business. Yeah. yeah. What's your pricing model? Because you could have three 250,000, you know, four $250,000 clients with very low overhead, be a freelancer, high, high, high luxury business model. Fantastic million dollars. Fantastic. Or you can have entry level clients who can't afford that and you need a machine in order to serve them. Yeah. What's your profit margin? Are you 
it's amazing to me how many people get themselves in a trouble because the more they sell, the more money they lose. Absolutely. 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 And it's interesting too, right? Because um, I think what, what you find is, is that when you ask people to your point about the gut, right? When you ask people, well, how did you come up with that number? Right? For how, how you're, yeah, it's so random. What you can pull off. Exactly. Just, you, it's just what I was most comfortable saying. Right. Right. So then the question, if you're uh, staying there, it, this shows up in so many different ways because you have people, and this is a big thing right now because what happened in the last, so we are in, we're recording this in September of 23. If you look, I would guess I started seeing it about a year ago, actually. Let's call it okay. a year. In the last year, the bottom third of every single market, I don't care if we're talking pet food real estate, you know, whatever it is, coaching, services, the bottom third of the market went away. The government stopped printing money and giving it to people. Inflation has gone crazy. We've got, you know, we had layoffs instead of, right. We have all these reasons that the person who was just trying to buy a thing is no longer able to just buy a thing. They're gone. They're just gone. So if that was the market you were serving, your market went away. Yeah. Your market went away. You can't lower your prices enough for them to buy from you. They're out. They're gone. They'll come back. Don't worry. It's going to be another six months or so, but they'll get there. So what happened? People who want, a lot of people got out of the coaching business and the consulting or the self. I've had a ton of people texting me saying, Hey, I got a job. Great. Go for it. Earn money. Like there's nothing wrong with a job. I've had great jobs, but What I also watched is if you're going to stay in business as a coach and consultant, you had to up-level who you were serving. You had to up-level who you were serving. So do you look the part? And going back to your original thing, you you had mentioned this. And I'll put it this way. When I submit proposals for paid speaking and everyone else submits a proposal for $10,000, yeah. I submit one for $5,000. They don't go, oh, look, Aaron's a deal. They go, Aaron must suck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you want to up-level your clientele, because yeah. that's who's available to purchase from you right now. Yeah. They're not going to look at your prices if they're too low and think yeah. you're a deal. Right. Bloomingdale's Abercrombie, is Abercrombie and Fitch still out? Hollister. I don't know what brands are. I'm yeah. It's been a hot minute. Right. Like Hollister people, Abercrombie and Fitch people, those are t-shirts and sweatpants. Yeah. But they're not buying that same t-shirt and sweatpants at Walmart. Yeah. Bloomingdale's people won't buy something at Walmart prices. Yeah. Yeah. Because they think it's less than. Yeah. It, It 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 and I think. Right. Like to that point, that person doesn't harbor the same mental ceilings, the same mm-hmm. um, questions of self-value, the same approach to whether you're worthy or not that you do. They're just looking at who you are, 
you know, you know, what references you have, or what work you've done, how much you cost. Right. And and so when we start to remove our own biases, our own self-doubts, our own thoughts about, you know, whether we can or cannot. Right. And, and we and, and we start to price based on what our value is, what will we bring to those talks, to those masterminds, to those workshops, to our clients and and, and start thinking about them. And, and what they're going to get from it. Like, how much is this going to improve your life, your business, your bottom line, uh, improve your revenue? When we start to think about their improvements, then we can start to more adequately price ourselves and feel really good about it, right? Because there's not there's no point, Aaron, to price yourself. And, and every time someone asks you your price, you start to under-negotiate yourself. Oh, my God. Not, I said it. Anyway, what's the thing? Like people will under-negotiate themselves. Wait, yeah. like, it goes something like this. My services are $5,000, but you're part of my group, so it's $4,000. But you know what? I really like you, so let's do it for $3,000. And you know what? It's September, so we're doing a back-to-school special, so I'll give it to you for $1,000. What do you think? Wait, no. Let me give you one better. Let me give you one better. I'm, I'm, I'm going to role-play with you. So, so my price is $10,000, and then you pause. And I go, oh, is that too much? I can actually do it for eight. Right. And then you pause. You haven't said anything. You haven't agreed or disagreed. They haven't said anything. (laughs) The way that I learned sales, the way that I learned sales is this. This is, is, well, there's two parts to this. Number one, your price has to roll off your tongue as easily as you say salt or pepper. So I was taught sales with, you know, you put a post-it note, $10,000. Salt, pepper, $10,000. $10,000, pepper, salt, $10,000, salt. But right, you just got to roll off your tongue. And the other thing was, say your price and stop talking. Yeah. And then you play a game. It's called the first person who talks loses, except yeah. they don't know they're playing. Right? Yeah. And it's not about being manipulative. It's yeah. about getting out of your own way. Yeah. And I, I'll go one further for you because I, I've worked with a lot of real estate agents. Yeah. And I call it have some empathy in your sales process. Have some empathy in your sales process. So, for example, a realtor will be on a, a listing, on an appointment to get a listing. Yep. And they'll get to the point with that prospect where they'll say, I think we can sell your house for $350,000. And the prospect will say, oh, my God, I thought for sure my house was going to be a half a million dollars. Yeah. And right away, the realtor will jump in a defensive mode. Well, I did this and I did this and I know this and this is this and this and this and this. Now, you just made your business about you and your insecurity. That person just found out that what they thought was going to be $500,000 is probably going to be $350,000. Can we give them a minute to process before you make it all about you? Yeah, yeah. No, we don't 100%. realize it. 100%. 100%, right? Because we're, we're internalizing anything that feels like it's a no, headed towards a no. Or it's a our abilities. Yeah, and right? I, I did my research. Exactly. It's not, a, it's, it's, not, it's not a question of, you know, whether the person believes you or not. It's about them having to accept that no- there is an alternate thing that they had not considered that you have just brought them. Whether they agree to it at the end or not is ultimately up to them. But there is this moment of reckoning where they're like, 
I had a thought. <laughs> I worked I worked with families with aging parents through the downsizing process. I helped 80, 80 to 90-year-old people yeah. move out of houses that they had lived in for 50 years. Yeah. They didn't know how much to rent a truck for. Like they had, you want to talk about sticker shock? Yeah. They had no idea what hit them when they when we would start having this situation. And on top of it, they weren't happy about having to do it. And odds are they had some health problems. Yeah. yeah. So I had to learn, like, my job, if I want to really help them, is to help them, not attack them. Or, as I say, watching good sales conversations go to die, just let them say, oh, okay, and then leave. That's yeah. not of service. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so lastly. I'm looking at your face going, this could go anywhere. How do you want to write no, this? No, not, no, lastly, I think, I think, I think this is, this is another thing when we talk about coaching, right? Like, do you want to be in a coaching business? Right? Like how likely are you to ask people for referrals? Me right? Too. Like, yeah. right. As a person, right? Like there, there's uh, like, we, we, once you get past the, this could be for me, you understand your business model and you start creating leads and you start servicing people and you finally process, you finally um, uh, priced yourself correctly, right? Then you're in the business of having people that have already used your service, that enjoy your service. You are actively placing in their mind that, I can be top of mind for you for someone else who needs this, mm -hmm. right? And and th those of us that do it well end up flourishing with people just referring business because you have your lead generation, your marketing and sales machine happening on one side. And then you have just people having conversations Ooh. about you and making introductions on your behalf. And, and you become valuable to them because you become a source, a resource for them in conversations they're having and helping people with their pain points by introducing you. But if we don't tell people, hey, I'm willing to, if you don't direct them into that conversation, if you don't support them in acknowledging that like you being a resource for me to gain business is okay with me. I want you to tell other people about me. I, I would love for you to tell other people about me. We can't expect them to do it. And so, so often I see people that have clients and they orphan their clients. Right. Like once the job was done, the person doesn't ever really hear from them again. Right. Like they'll it's get that, it. Right? It's that follow up and it's the relationship you're building. And I, I see this is a perfect example of the difference between telling somebody what to do and showing someone how to do it. We all know we're supposed to ask for referrals. You, you see this in financial services. Ask for referrals. Ask for referrals. How? How? The, so what will happen? This is the way I, to do it wrong. Here's the way to do it wrong. Wait until you're done working with somebody yeah. and then ask them if they have any referrals. Yeah. And the reason that's wrong is now you've put yourself in a position where the reason for you to reconnect with that person is to find out whether or not they have referrals for you, which feels very chasey, chasey, chasey. And transactional. It's very transactional and very chasey. You want to know the number one way to get referrals? Give referrals. Yeah. Like, this is not hard. When I had my last business, I gave out $6 million in real estate referrals. Yeah. I 
basically had a $6 million real estate business and I wasn't a realtor. I didn't get my license so that I could get a piece of the pie. I wasn't my business. I gave out $6 million. Like when I do my podcast, when I do my podcasts, there's almost nobody that I am on their podcast or they're on my podcast that I don't get them two more bookings. My last question is always, who do you need to meet? What do you need? She asked asked me that, guys. Sure did. Who do you need to meet? What do you mean? I talk to people all week long. Yeah. Who do you need to meet? What do you need? Who do you need to meet? What do you need? I said it to you before we started. I talked to Todd earlier. You will like him. I will connect you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's not hard once you remember to think that way. I think a lot of people are absolutely happy to do it. I think they just don't think that way. Yeah. yeah. Make it easy for them. Make it, you know... The, the other place that this goes wrong is if you don't have your messaging, your unique value proposition, if you don't have your side of the deal totally figured out, how are you expecting somebody else to do that for you? Yeah. You know, oh, here, let me introduce you to Dion. I'm not exactly sure what he does. <laughs> like, but, but it worked for me. It worked for me for, for the six months you did it. Make it easy for someone to do to help you. People do want to help you. They just, you know, they say that in um, like supporting grieving friends. Don't yeah. ask them how you can help them. Show up and help them. Yeah. It's the same, right? It's the same type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. So I have two questions for you. Uh-oh, okay. That I ask everyone that comes on the Man Versus Brand podcast. Okay. And then I'm going to ask you to share, conquer your business and plays, ways that people can engage in the content, all that good stuff. But here are my two questions. So on any streaming platform, podcast, book, what's something that you recently engaged in that you thoroughly enjoyed? Recently engaged in that I thoroughly enjoyed. Um I, it's so hard because I, I absorb information like nobody's business. That's the point. So this is going to be in the show notes, right? So if someone's listening to you and they're like, oh my gosh, I want to read, I want to, I want to read something she reads. I want to watch a show that she watches. I went back. Okay. I reread this. Ooh, and they say no. Yay. Come on, Finn. So this is a, a couple, Richard and Andrea. I originally read, they have, their first book was Go For No. Mm-hmm. And I love, it's a little hardcore sales, but I come out of a sales background, a little hardcore sales, but here's something I love because it's very much in alignment with how I think about things. If yeah. you are being pushed by the desire to avoid pain, if you are being pushed forward by the desire to avoid pain, the problem with that is as soon as you alleviate a little bit of your pain, you will stop. Yeah. As opposed to if you're being pulled forward by a desire to create something, there is no stopping you. So yeah. to that effect, a lot of people do their sales to reach a number. And once yeah. they reach that number, they stop. What if instead you went for no, go for no, yeah. and you counted your number of no's, you're going to make a lot more sales. You're going to make a lot more sales. So that was great. It was, and it's written like a fable. You can read it in like, it's an airplane read, like 30. It's even actually, it's like the waiting room read. It's like a 30 minute read. This book, when they say no, 
had you see all my post-its in here, right? Yeah, no, um, no, I do. Had a lot more tactical advice for what to do instead. And I wow. will tell you, I come out like I come out of corporate sales way back before 9-11. I was in the real estate business and I used to wander. You can't even get in anymore. I used to wander the halls of the skyscrapers in Chicago, going door to door, asking the offices, like who handles your real estate? Thank God we don't do it that way anymore. So I come, so that being said, I don't like boiler room, old school sales. I'm a very conversational sales approach. It's an invitation. It's just a conversation, but this has a lot of really good advice on how to handle sales conversations. So I've reread this a couple times here. When they say no, uh, Waltz, Fenton. Fenton and Waltz, yep. Got it. All right, cool. Um, Second question. Very similar to the first on any streaming platform, podcast, and or book. What's something that you thoroughly enjoy that people may not readily associate with you? And this could be a genre... This could be an activity, but like what's right. something that you thoroughly enjoy that people may so, not necessarily readily associate with? I, if you know me, I guess it's not a shock, but if you meet me this way, I'll, I'll do it this Well, I don't get to do it anymore. The thing that I enjoy okay. the most, I don't get to do it anymore, but it's just so freaking weird. I'll give you the thing. Okay. Okay. I'll give you two. I'll give you a couple. I am five feet tall and 53 years old. Okay. I was a competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter for 25 years and boxer. I used to spar on Friday nights and go for my, go to my MBA class on Saturday mornings with black eyes. (laughs) So that's, you know, that's very incongruous because of my size. However, I'll give you this one because there's a picture somewhere that I may or may not share with you. Okay. okay. When I left corporate and left my friend, like when I left corporate and I was out here in this, I knew I needed to get comfortable being uncomfortable and going to the gym was not enough of a stress reliever for me because my body knew how to do that. I can, I can bench personal records and my mind will wander because my body just knows how to do it. So it wasn't a stress relief for me. Right. So I decided to learn something new. So at 40 years old, and we're well past this, but it, this is just why it's so you're going to die. At yeah, four no. years old, I decided to be to learn how to figure skate. <laughs> and <laughs> the look on your face. And by the end of the year, I had flown halfway across the country to be in an adult skating competition. Of course you did. Of course you did. Where I won and still have a blue ribbon, a blue ribbon, because, and I'm a rocker girl, so we had to be a little bit in alignment. I did a 90-second routine to landslide by Fleetwood Mac. (laughs) What? Oh, man. Okay, here for your... Oh, guys, she is definitely in... Figure skater attire. I've got wow. the blue scrunchie. This is like a legit thing. That is awesome. 40 years old. Landslide by Fleetwood Mac. I think I was 41 by the time we got there. Yeah. And I won. 
and I, by the way, I had been on a little bit of ice skates before that, but sure. I, I came no, in. Nothing competitive, I would imagine. Nothing like in that realm. So how long did you continue with it? I did it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel like that's gonna be that's gonna be an interesting story too because I feel like you're gonna be like I won it and then I was just kind of like oh this is cool. I was done with that <laughs> exactly. So I was done with that. I learned that that was fun. Yeah. So I then went on my next year long adventure. Okay. <laughs> I roped one of my team members in going with me, and then she got pregnant and had to stop. And I went to trapeze school, <laughs> forty two <laughs> years old. <laughs> I'm with a bunch of 20, 25 year olds and I learned how to do the silks like pink. Wow. Oh. And I'm Whoa. Whoa. I, yeah, I have, when I, here's the thing, you cannot take yourself just a little bit seriously at all when you are trapped hanging by your ankle from a rope, you know, 15 feet up in the air and some very adorable muscle bound college student has to climb up and save your ass. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, it's funny. Like I, 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 I will, I, I don't know about the mechanics of either, but it's interesting because so much of form is important in powerlifting form. Oh yeah. Important in figure skating I imagine form becomes it, important in trapeze. And so it's funny, like, it's, though these things seem and are completely different and divergent and probably use different muscles and focus and technique, there also is like a thread. That, yeah, that 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 it would that wouldn't seem apparent as I was doing them. Like it no, wouldn't reason, it yeah. would be until after that I was like, oh. I went from this to this to this, right? But while I was going through it, they would just seem to be so different in the capacity activity. Right. It's in the application, oh. right? Like the yeah. reason I can do them, the reason I was able to do what I did. And again, it was yeah. hysterical because everyone else in the class is 20, 25 years old. But yeah. the thing about strength, physical body muscle strength is it yeah. takes a long time to build and muscle memory is an amazing thing. I yeah. was so much stronger than these kids. Cause I had been lifting for yeah. 20 years yeah. by the time I had gotten there. Um, yeah. And knowing how my body works, knowing how muscles work, knowing how to engage one muscle, how yeah. do I literally, right. Cause I used to bench press in competition when I was 19. Yeah. Yeah. And you learn, well, I need to engage this muscle and release the tension, like boxing. How do I release the tension in this muscle to preserve my energy? So that, yes, that absolutely. Yeah, but, but it's not apparent, but as you're going through it, I'm like, oh, 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 okay. I can kind of see this working so out. I engage this muscle, release yeah. that muscle. But what's hysterical is, what was hysterical about the figure skating is, I'm not real girly. Yeah. I'm not real girly. So the hardest, I the power moves, man, I, I was scared to jump, but I was doing all sorts of lunges and spinning around. But as soon as you wanted to make pretty shapes with your arms, I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but my yeah, God. That awesome. is very incongruous, not associated with me. And I continue to do weird crap like that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, <laughs> all right, cool. So if someone's listening right now, right? 
first, guys, I want you to pause this thing. I want you to go over and I want you to check out Aaron's podcast. Just do that for me real quick. Just do that for me. I want you guys to check it out. The link is going to be in the show notes. So check it out because she's doing some really awesome things. I am also in the episode. I think I've mentioned that. I'm on an episode. So check me out too. Don't just check me out. Subscribe to her thing. Check out what's generally going on there. But Aaron, if someone wants to engage in your content right now, they, they think that, you know, that they might be a really great uh, client um, for Conquer Your Business or they want to see the stuff that you're putting out on LinkedIn uh, because maybe they're not ready right now, but maybe, you know, they're, they're just interested in exploring concepts in the space. Uh, how can they, how can they get, uh, how can they get with your content? How can they, so they, they I will make this so easy for you because you can get this all in one place, right? I okay. don't want you to have to try to remember 85 different things. I can't remember three different things. So it is all at conqueryourbusiness.com. We have links to everything, links to my LinkedIn, links to social links to my podcast, blogs, articles, you name it. It's there right there conqueryourbusiness.com. Just reach out, connect, say hi, tell me what's going on. I just love meeting and talking to people. So it's all good. There you go, guys. I hope you love this episode. I hope you got something from it. I hope that every time that we went off topic, that you enjoyed the off topicness of our off topic because it all somehow weaves together into a greater story. The beautiful thing about being a coach is that um, there's no one way to approach the the field. There's not one tried and true method to your coaching. But what you want to do is you want to find your success in median strategy, median tactics, median approach, median pricing, meaning that you're not just developing something for the sake of developing it and hoping that it works. You want to look at what works for a bunch of people and then you want to ideate and 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 evolve and and um, create from that standpoint, right? Start with what's being successful for, for a lot of people and then start to figure out what will be successful for you. Start to then differentiate yourself in that way. Lastly, to the greatest point I think that Aaron made in, in our talk is- Go in a figure uh, skating when you're 40, no. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, that might be. Right. Well, no, but most of us, me and her talked about me DJing. So it's important to keep pushing your boundaries, push your boundaries around what what happiness looks like, what stress reliefs looks like. hundred percent. But I want to speak to this. And this is important because it's as important as it is to be a, a power lifter, a figure skater, doing trapeze or being a coach, a business owner, um, a kick ass person. Is understand your value proposition. What are you bringing to folks, guys? Like, understand why would someone want to work with you? Not work with a coach, work with you. What makes you different? What makes you special? What what, what can you engage them in that others cannot? Because when you understand your value proposition, man, you'll find your tribe. Because we're not meant for everyone. We're just meant for the people that are meant for us. Anyway, I'm Dion Brown. That is Aaron Marcus. I hope you guys appreciated the show. Thank you, guys. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Aaron. Thank Bye. you. If this talk just resonated with you or could help someone you know, follow Dion or his guest on all social media platforms. Till next time. And remember, with any business or brand, 
Give it to your heart, make it real, or else forget about it. See you all soon.